0: Hi, and welcome to Seeking the Gospel Truth. I'm Giselle Akiyar, and every so often, I like to do a post on the history of the Church, the Holy Land, the Bible, and or Bible prophecy, just to fill the curious mind with the who, what, when, where, why, and how Christianity got started, progressed to what we have now, and what the Bible says will happen in the future. Join me on a journey to uncover the mysteries, curiosities, and truth of God's story his story genuine bible prophecy truth as seen by an authority in 1920. recently a friend and neighbor passed away rachel was a solid christian yet i was not aware of underlying problems for instance Never having been in her apartment. I didn't know that she was a level three hoarder in case you don't know what that is, usually somebody that has accumulated a lot of stuff that, um, it, it's, it's the place is livable, but it's, there's stuff stacked up and there's little paths around the house. That's how it was. She had tons and tons and tons, and tons, tons of books. A lot of christian books so i offered to take her, um other christian books and give them away to friends consequently in going through them i discovered a bible prophecy book and that's one thing about going through a hoarder's home is that you find little gems what made this book different is that it was written in 1920 that's 1920 for a book that's 104 years old it's an excellent condition. Fascinated as I am with Bible prophecy, as I read it, it occurred to me, since it was written in 1920 by Reverend Clarence Larkin from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, it was pure and uncontaminated by modern day Bible prophecy preachers. Face it, when reading contemporary prophecy books or watching preachers on YouTube, you don't know who to believe. It took me years of my own personal study to feel confident in believing in pre-millennialism. This is pure Bible prophecy. Pastor Larkin was a trained draftsman, and he sketched out charts explaining Bible prophecy as written in the Bible. To give you an idea, among the 90 charts in the book, we have the ages as viewed from different standpoints. The Mountain Peaks of Prophecy, The Perspective of Prophecy, 7,000 Years of Human History, and The Relation of Jew-Gentile and Church to Each Other, just to name a few. If you're interested in um, purchasing this book, it is available through Christian Book Distributors, and I have a link to it in the show notes. It's um, There's links to to it in my blog and also in my uh, Christian bookstore on my website, and I am a Christian books affiliate. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to read some passages from the book. I didn't want to just you know type them out in my blog because it's plagiarism, but um, I, I I just found it so fascinating that having been written in 1920. This is just pure, genuine Bible prophecy. So here we go. What is Um, premillennialism? And I'm quoting from the book now. The time of the second coming of Christ is the key that unlocks all dispensational truth. The vast majority of Christians believe in the personal return of the Lord, but they differ as to the time. They are divided into two schools, the premillennialists and the postmillennialists. The premillennialists believe that Christ will return before the millennium, and the postmillennialists that he will not come until after. By the millennium is meant the period of a thousand years mentioned in Revelation 20, um, 1 through 7. It is common by wholly erroneous impression that premillennialists base their belief mainly, if not solely, on this passage in the Apocalypse. The fact is, the question of whether Christ's return will precede or follow the millennium antedates the Apocalypse. That's the other name for Revelation, by the way. The Old Testament prophets, in plain language and in glowing terms, foretold an era or age of universal righteousness and peace on this earth under the reign of Messiah the Prince. That the early disciples were not mistaken in their belief in such an earthly kingdom ruled over by their promised Messiah is evident from the fact that Jesus never reproved them for holding such a belief. And after his resurrection and and previous to his ascension, when they asked him if he would, quote, at that time, restore the kingdom of this kingdom to Israel, end quote. That's from Acts 1.6. He did not say, quote, you are mistaken in your idea of an earthly kingdom. The kingdom I came to set up that was meant by the prophets is a spiritual kingdom. But he says, it is not for you to know the times and seasons. That is when it shall be set up. The whole teaching of the Old Testament as to the coming of the Messiah is premillennial. The only use that premillennialists have for the thousand year passage in Revelation 20, 1 through 7, is to fix the length of that age of righteousness and peace. In fact, Jewish tradition, based on the Sabbatic rest of Genesis 2, 1 through 3, taught that the seventh thousand years from creation was to be a period of sabbatic rest or what we call the millennium the passage in revelation simply confirms this tradition expunge the passage and you do not weaken the argument you only leave it as an uncertain length of time that age shall last now the apostolic church and that's the church you know started by um Peter and Paul and the whole book of Acts, the apostolic church was premillennial for over 200 years. No other view was entertained until AD 250 where origin came in and just started messing everything up. Okay, so I'm going to pause here in the reading and I'm not going to go on with the whole history of uh, origins writings and then the people that came afterwards and so forth. What's in, um, and and again, you can purchase the book and read it all for yourself. But this is just to give you an idea that the Bible is premillennial. Okay. Um, continuing this, uh, the second and premillennial coming of Christ is the key to the scriptures. All of the prophetical writings. Make it their terminal end. This is a dark world, and the sure word of prophecy is given as a light to show us the way over the stormy sea of time. 2 Peter 1.19 Prophecy is not a haphazard guess like our weather probabilities. It is history written in advance. The moment we grasp this idea of prophecy and clearly see the relation of Christ's pre millennial coming to to scripture truth, the Bible becomes a new book and doctrinal and prophetical truths at once fall into their proper place and our theological system is no longer a chaos, but an orderly plan. Now, in one of the charts that I mentioned, it's the mountain peaks of prophecy. Now, I'm just going to read the explanation of this chart. And again, I highly recommend you purchase this book. Um, um, seeing that, that, well, anyway, just you can you can purchase it um, uh, on my website. But here's an explanation of the mountain peaks of prophecy. The Old Testament prophets spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Um, and we can find it in 2 Peter 1, 19 through 21. They did not understand why they what they prophesied. They believed that their prophecies as to Christ were all to be fulfilled at his first coming. This accounts for why the people of Christ's day looked for him to set up a temporal kingdom. They did not see that this dispensation was to intervene between the cross, the sufferings of Christ, and the crown, the glory that should follow. The prophets saw the events they foretold as separate peaks of one great mountain. This chart reveals the valleys and the time elements that lay between those peaks. And so you can see the chart and the prophets saw certain things but the prophets didn't see the valley of the church age. So that's why the church isn't really mentioned in the Old Testament. Um, The mountain peaks of prophecy. The Bible is unlike uh, all other sacred books in that it bases its authenticity and authority on prophecy. All other sacred books contain no predictions as to the future. If their authors had attempted to foretell future events, their non-fulfillment would long ere this, have discredited their writings. Fulfilled prophecy is stronger than miracles. Prophecy is not a haphazard guess or a probability made up on uncertain data like our weather probabilities. Prophecy is history written in advance. Or, as another has said, prophecy is the mold of history. The importance of the study of the prophetic scriptures is seen when we recall that two-thirds of the scriptures are prophetic. Either Um, In type, symbol, or direct statement, and more than one half of the Old Testament prophecies and nearly all of the New Testament point to events yet future. Then this is a dark world, and men need the sure word of prophecy to light them over the stormy sea of time. When men see that God has a plan and purpose in the ages, they take heart and have something to pin their faith on. It was because the religious leaders of Christ's day were not students of the prophetic scriptures that they failed to recognize him when he came. And if the religious leaders of our day despise and reject the study of prophecy, they will not be ready for Christ's second coming. (sighs) Okay, so there were four prophetic periods clearly outlined in scriptures. The first was the, the patriarchal, Here. Okay, um, The patriarchal period, which is Adam to Joseph from uh, 1921 to 1491 B.C. Then we have the Mosaic um, time period, which is Moses, which is the Exodus and, and uh, all of the books of the law. And then we have the Jewish um, time period which we start with the pre-exilic, which is before the exile to um, Babylon, which is 900 to 600 BC. Then we have the exilic, um, which was when they were in exile in Babylon, 600 to 500. And then the post-exilic, 500 to 400 BC. Now I've got all these um, in Bible studies, going through the old Testament and explaining everything that was going on. Um, so you can get a really good idea of the history of Israel and it's important to do so, especially today. There's a lot of false teachers out there right now. So the truth is important. Then after then we have 400 years of silence. And and I actually have an article on that and what was going on in those 400 years between Malachi and Matthew, between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. So then we have the apostolic era, which is AD 27 to 100, around. Um, uh, And then um, we have uh, the past, we have fulfilled prophecy, the present is fulfilling prophecy, which right now we've got everything from, you know, and just to think about it. So this book was written in 1920. So this was before, um, the, um, uh, the formation of Israel in 1948, the start, the, the recognition of Israel as a a state, but just so you know. The Balfour Declaration in 1917, and you can Google it and this, which was the idea of, of starting a, um, a Jewish state back in the land of Israel, which at that time was called Palestine, um, that was written in 1917. So, um, and then, then we had the armistice of 1918, which was the end of World War I. So we had a few years of peace in there until Hitler comes around and starts World War II going. So this was written in 1920. So just so you have an idea of what was going on in the world. And back in those days, we, they didn't even have the radio. There was just newspapers and magazines and that's it. And you had to wait till something was printed before, um, you got the news. So, um, that's, what's really interesting about reading, reading, um, this book now, um, so let's, let's, so we're, we're continuing, we're con- continuing here. Um, And I've gone through all of the major prophets—Isaiah, Ezekiel—you know. So you can go to my website and check out all of those Bible studies. I'll put the link in the show notes. Um, Now, for instance, Isaiah's prophecies—and reading this now from the book—I'm quoting from the book. Isaiah's prophecy have mainly to do with the Messiah and Israel. Jeremiah is the prophet of Israel's return to their own land, and with um ezekiel has to do with the restoration of israel to their own land which was fulfilled in 1948 um, and with the millennial land the restored temple and the form of worship that's all in the book of ezekiel and i've done those studies um, uh, daniel is the prophet of the gentiles and their final great leader the antichrist Zechariah is most concerned about the events that shall happen in the second coming of Christ. As the Antichrist, Armageddon, conversion of Israel, Christ returned to, um, to Olivet, which is the Mount of Olives, Old Age in Jerusalem, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, Zechariah does not see these events in their chronological order. All the major prophets and nine of the minor prophets emphasize the kingship of Christ. And it was this that confused the religious leaders of Christ's day. Um, And again, he's got a chart, the perspective of prophecy, which actually shows all the different prophets in their respective eras and what they talked about, what they saw. Um, I tell you, this book is fascinating. It really is. Um, So continuing here, the second coming of Christ. There is no fact in history more established than the fact of the first coming of Christ. But as his first coming did not fulfill all the prophecies associated with his coming, it is evident that there must be another coming to completely fulfill them. It was because the religious leaders of Christ's day failed to distinguish between the prophecies that related to his first coming and those that related to his second coming that they rejected him. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1, 10 through 11, that the prophets themselves did not clearly perceive the difference between the sufferings and glory of Christ. That is, they did not see that there was a time space between the cross and the crown. That the cross would precede the crown but we have no such excuse we live on this side of the cross and we can readily pick out all the prophecies that were fulfilled at christ's first coming and apply the remainder to his second coming it is clear then that christ's first coming important as it was is not the doctrinal center of the scriptures that is christ's first coming was not the center of the circle that contains all doctrine. And yet he's referring to a little chart that he drew here. Um, But one of the foci of the ellipse of which the other is the second coming. This, um, uh, and he refers to the chart. So I'm gonna jump down to something here. He goes into, uh, the testimony of Jesus himself, um, the testimony of heavenly beings, testimony of the apostles, testimony of the Lord's supper and the five theories. He explains the five theories, um, uh, majority of professing Christians admit the fact of the second coming of Christ that are not agreed as to the manner or time, five theories to the second coming of the, these are the false theories that are out there. Um, now, as to the time, this is what I wanted to read. This is really important because uh, as I've watched the, the prophecy guys that I do watch and I get out of a link, um, if you go to my website and click on Bible prophecy, I've got lots of resources there and I watch a lot of these guys and they'll agree with this the same thing of the exact time we cannot be certain <laughs> period. That's true. We don't know. Okay, hey, quote from the book again. When Jesus was on the earth, he said, But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither not yet the Son, but the Father. That's Mark thirteen thirty two. After his resurrection and before his ascension, he refused to satisfy the curiosity of his disciples, saying to them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. Acts 1, 7 jesus knew of daniel's prophecy of the 70 weeks daniel 9 2027 20 but he fixed no dates for their fulfillment the student of prophecy is not to be a date setter but he is to watch signs are for the jew there is nothing to prevent christ coming for his church at any time while we do not know the day or the hour of Christ's coming, we know that it will be premillennial. By premillennial, we mean before the millennium, that is, before the period of the thousand years spoken in Revelation 21 through 6. And this period is spoken in other scripture as the kingdom and is described in glowing terms by the prophets as a time when the earth shall be blessed with a universal rule of righteousness. The passage in Revelation twenty one through six simply tells us that the length of period shall be a thousand years. Okay, um, uh, and okay, he goes on to um, as to the manner. So he will return in the same manner as he went. That's Acts one eleven. Um, he went up bodily and visibly, and he shall come in like manner. He went in a cloud, and he will return in a cloud. Behold, he comes, it comes in the clouds and every eye shall see him. And they also, um, which pierced him. (sighs) And, uh, lost my place, lost my light, lost my place. (laughs) Okay. Um, um, and he, that pierced him and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. There's revelation one, seven the only difference will be that he went up alone and he will return as king followed by the retinue of angelic hosts for the son of man shall come in glory of his father with his angels and then he shall reward every man according to his works his return however will be in two stages he will first he will come first into the region of our atmosphere and the dead in Christ, and the living saints will, okay, I'm about to lose everybody here. Um, And the living saints shall be caught up to meet him in the air, that's the rapture. Then after the risen and translated saints have been judged and rewarded for their works, and they as the church, the bride of Christ, have been married to him, he will come with them to the earth and land on the Mount of Olives, the place from whence he ascended. And his feet shall stand in the day, the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley and half the mountain shall remove toward the north and half of it toward the south. And that's from Zechariah 14.4. The first stage of his return is called the rapture. The second stage, the revelation. The time between the two stages is not less than seven years and is occupied in the heavens by the judgment of believers for works and on earth by the great tribulation. Now, um, while the earth is going through the great tribulation, the believers, the true born again believers are in heaven getting their crowns, getting their rewards for the works that they did because they were born again, saved, and were called to do good works, as the book of James says. We are not saved by works. So if you think that you're doing good works and volunteering and being a good Catholic and going to church and, do do what do whatever and bowing to whomever and, and lighting candles, and that's going to save you and saying Hail Marys and that kind of stuff. That's not going to save you. Your salvation is through Jesus Christ alone. I'll get to that in the end. So the first stage of the rapture. Now, this is what really got to me when I was reading this book. And I really realized like, oh my God, this is just pure. The rapture is described in First Thessalonians 4.15. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel Michael, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we which are alive and remain, the saints only, shall be caught up and the believers." Uh, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so shall we ever be with the Lord. From this we see that the rapture will be twofold, the resurrection of the dead in Christ and the translation of the the living saints. This twofold character of the rapture, Jesus revealed to Martha when he was about to raise her brother Lazarus, he said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me Though he were dead, yet shall he live. That's the first resurrection saints. And whoever liveth is alive when I come back and believeth in me shall never die. John 11, 25 to 26. This twofold character of the rapture Paul emphasizes in his immortal chapter on the resurrection. And that goes and so that goes, that goes on. So now the rapture will be a surprise. Watch therefore, for ye not know what hour your Lord doth come, but know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched, and would have and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not the Son of Man cometh. Matthew 24, 42 to 44. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, least he walk naked. They see his shame. Revelation 16, 15. But, the, but of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have not, have no need that I write unto you for yourselves. Not know. Okay. Um So he goes into, then the rapture will be elective. So it will not only separate the saints from unbelievers, but it will separate husbands from wives, brothers from sisters, friends from friends. I tell you that in the night there shall be two men in one bed, and one shall be taken, the other shall be left, two women shall be grinding together, one shall be taken, the other left. Two men shall be in the field, the one shall be taken, the other left. That's Luke 17, 34 to 36. The words men and women in this passage are in italics. That means that they are not in the original. So the passage should read There shall be two in one bed, husband and wife, or two brothers, or two sisters, or two friends. Two in bed indicates night, two grinding at the mill, morning and evening. Two in the field, mid-noon. This shows that the rapture will happen all over the earth at the same time, or as the apostle describes it, in a moment or the twinkling of an eye. As lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the son of man be. The rapture will be the most startling event of this age and dispensation. As it is to occur in the twinkling of an eye and all over the earth at the same time, that part of the world is not asleep, all will witness the event. As to the shout of the Lord and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, we do not know whether their sound will be heard and distinguished by others, other than the dead in Christ and the living saints. We know that one day the Father spoke to Christ in a voice that he understood, but the people who stood by mistook it for thunder. When the Lord appeared to Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus and spoke to him, the men that journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a- It's now open, my Christian Book Distributors affiliate bookstore. These hand-picked books cover Bible prophecy, Christian apologetics, worldview, and much more. Many are at discount prices. Isn't it time you got your Christian books from a Christian bookstore? Click on the link in the show notes. Okay, I was cut off by the system there. Okay, so um, when the Lord appeared to Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus, And spoke to him, the men that journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man, and not understanding what was said. That's Acts 9, 3-7. We know, however, that the dead in Christ will hear the sound, for it will be intensely penetrating. There will be no graves so deep, no catacombs so rock-covered, no pyramids or mausoleums so thick But what the sound shall, um, but what the sound shall reach the depths and the dead in Christ shall hear the cry, awake, ye sleeping saints, and arise from the dead. It is morning, the morning of the first resurrection. On the morning of that glorious day, the air will be filled with the spirits and the dead in Christ come back to earth to get their bodies raised and glorified. Whether the cemeteries and country churchyards will look like Plowed fields and monuments and grave slabs be overturned and bolts and places of sepulcher be shattered by the exodus of those who found their last resting place there and thus testify to the fact of literal bodily resurrection of the dead or whether the sainted dead shall slip out of their sepulchres without disturbing them as Christ arose and left the tomb without breaking the seal, the angel rolling away the stone simply to show that the tomb was empty. We are not told, only the event itself will disclose the manner of the first resurrection. A little sip of water there. If the dead slip out of their places of sepulcher without disturbing them, the first resurrection will be secret and probably unknown to the world. But it will not be so if the living saints who are trans, uh, who are not, not so with the living saints, the, the born again believers, who are translated or transformed. If it is night on our side of the globe, when the rapture occurs, the community will wake up in the morning to find all the real Christians gone, disappeared in the night. Many may hear the sound of the midnight cry, behold, the bygoon cometh. But thinking it only thunder, will turn over for another nap, but in the morning they will find the bedroom door locked with the key on the inside, just as they locked it before retiring and the clothes of the loved one who occupied the room with them lying there were placed when taken off the night before. But that loved one who was a Christian missing. Husbands will wake up to find that Christian wives are gone and wives will wake up to find Christian husbands gone. Brothers and sisters will be missed, dear children absent, and not an infant will be left behind. Many faithful servants and employees will not report for duty, the world will awake to the fact that the Bible is true and the much despised doctrine of the premillennial coming of the Lord to gather out his saints is no fanciful interpretation of scripture. If it be day with us when the rapture occurs, the event will be startling. As it was in the days of Noah, the people will be eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, Buying and selling and planting and building. That's from Matthew 24, 36 to 39. If it be at, at a pleasant time of the year, the boats and cars and parts will be filled with pleasure seekers. If it be in the midst of the week and during the business hours of the day, the shops and stores will be filled with shoppers and the mills with, with toilers in the streets of the cities lined with men, women and children on pleasure and business bent bent. Suddenly a noise from heaven will be heard like a great peal of thunder. The people will rush to doors and windows and those on the streets and the fields will look up to see what has happened. To the vast majority it will be but a startling and alarming sound, but to many it will be the voice of the Lord. But when people recover from their surprise and affrighted a frightened condition, they will discover that a great many people are missing and that the missing were the best people in the community. The large department stores, banking institutions, manufacturing plants, and other places of business will find their working force depleted by the loss of faithful employees. People walking on the streets will find their companions gone and the streetcars will be blocked because of absent motormen, conductors, and teamsters. Railroad and steamboat lines will be crippled and confusion will reign everywhere in many homes. The servants will be missing and members of the family will come home to find loved ones gone. When I was reading this passage, and then it really hit me, this was written in 1920, (laughs) because there's no mention of airplanes. Yes, they had planes in World War I, um, but... Not commercial airliners, definitely, uh, or you know, um, and steamboats and railroads, um, it uh, streetcar lines. <laughs> it's just, um, and considering that it's going to happen today with the technology that we have, there's a camera over every corner of every street, so there's going to be the disappearances will be recorded. There's gonna be people who are gonna be streaming live at the moment that that they're raptured and they're just gonna be gone in the in the middle of a of, of a you know of a, of a live stream you know so so you have to consider you know it was interesting how he imagined the rapture would be in 1920 all right continuing at first the whole thing will be a mystery until someone who has heard or read the rapture of the saints, realizing what has happened will explain the situation. Now, obviously now with the news that we have and the whole UFO, outer space aliens and that kind of stuff, all that's going to come up as a possible explanation for the disappearances. Yes, hopefully there will be a lot of people that will realize what went on, uh, especially what I call halfway Christians. And I have a series on on my blog on um, what happens if you're left behind. And, um, you know, so then we have you an idea of what it would be like to be left behind right now. And you want to make sure you're not left behind. Um, uh, and that this this is what's really interesting in the book here. But one of the surprises of the day will be that so many professing Christians and among them many ministers and Christian workers will be left behind while some who were not known to be Christian will be missing. The next day's papers will be full of what happened the day before and many of them will be swelled to twice their ordinary size by the pressure on their advertising columns for information as to missing ones for help to fill important vacancies in positions of trust. For a few days, the excitement will be intense then the people will settle down to the inevitable. With the exception of a few who will repent and turn to God, the mass, people, um, the mass of the people will become more hardened and wicked than before. Some who lost loved ones will be embittered as the Holy Spirit will have gone back with the raptured ones and the saints, the salt of the earth, been taken out. There will be nothing to prevent the rapid degeneration and moral putrefaction of those who are left and sin and inequity and all manner of crime and worldliness will increase and uh, pave the way for the manifestation of the antichrist under whose administration the world will rapidly ripen for judgment. Oh, so who are to be taken? Some claim that all the church are to pass through the tribulation. Others that all the church are to be caught up. At, uh, caught out before the tribulation, while some claim that only the waiting and the watching saints will be caught out before the, the tribulation and that rest must pass through it. The latter base their claim on Hebrews 9, 28, where it says, unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. While this might apply to the living when he appears, it certainly cannot apply to the dead. <laughs> There are tens of thousands who fell asleep in Jesus who never heard of the premillennial coming of the Lord or at least never grasped this meaning and who therefore never watched and waited and looked for his appearing. <clears throat> they surely are in Christ and the dead in Christ are to rise in the rapture. Okay, um to skip down a little bit to the tribulation is not for the perfecting of the saints it's not a purgatory purgatory doesn't exist it has nothing to do with the church it is a time of jacob's trouble uh jeremiah uh, 37 it is the judgment of israel and it is god's purpose to keep the church out of it revelation 3:10. The book of Revelation is written in chronological order. After the fourth chapter, the church is seen no more upon the earth until she appears in the 19th chapter, coming with the bridegroom from heaven. The entire time between these two chapters is filled with appalling judgments that fall upon those that dwell on the earth. And as the church is not of the earth, but is supposed to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, Ephesians two six. She will not be among those who dwell on the earth in those days." And um, the imminency of the second coming, okay? Um, By imminency, we mean may happen at any time. For illustration, you hurry to the railroad station to catch a train. You find the train has not arrived, though it is past the hour. Though it is late, it is on the way, and it would not be safe for you to leave the station for it may arrive any minute. But as a matter of fact, it does not come for half an hour. Now, if you had known that it would not arrive for half an hour, you would have used the time in some other way than waiting and watching. So we see that imminency does not necessarily imply immediateness, but does demand watchfulness. So anytime now, what amazes me is Clarence Larkin clearly understood the imminency of the return of Jesus Christ 104 years ago, yet we're still here. Jesus warned us in his Olivet Discourse in Mark 13, Luke 21, and Matthew 24, where he gives us a taste of what's to come in the last days, which we're in the last days. He tells us, yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Then in verse 8, but all this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. Now, Peter told us in 2 Peter 3, starting in verse 9, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promises. Some people think, no, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the very elements themselves would disappear in fire in the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along on that day he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in flames but we are looking forward to the new heavens a new earth as he has promised a world filled with God's righteousness and so dear friends While you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. So knowing Bible prophecy and that the rapture could happen in any minute, shouldn't you be secure in your salvation? If you're not sure if you're saved or not, if you truly want to be born again and have the assurance of salvation, receive the Holy Spirit. Feel his shalom. It's a peace that surpasses all understanding. It's a peace that you have, even though the world around us is in chaos. And you get a one-way, non-stop ticket to heaven after you die, or that you won't be left behind at the rapture, which can happen at any moment. What you have to do is believe, have faith that Jesus is the Christ and he died taking your sins away forever, and that he rose from the dead three days later. Repent of your sins. That is stop sinning. Do a complete 180 degree turn in your life. Surrender your life to him. When you ask Jesus to forgive you, he will. All your sins will be wiped clean, past, present, and future. And all means all. Be baptized with water baptism. Show the world and yourself that you have died to your old life and are born again in Christ. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit in your heart. So what are you waiting for? Invite Jesus into your heart and receive the gift of grace, joy, peace, and the confident hope of eternal life. You don't know what to say, you don't know what to do. There's a prayer in the show notes, or you can click on over to my blog and click where it says, How to Know Jesus. This blog and podcast is dedicated to Rachel Pius. I look forward to our reunion in heaven, our home. deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. Are you a born-again Christian with Catholic friends or family members? Have you struggled with how to bring up the truth of Jesus' salvation? I had the same problem, so I put together a free ebook, The Catholic Mission Field in Our Backyards. It's a guide to help you start the conversation and plant the seed that will get them thinking, am I missing something? Check it out. It's a free download on my website. You'll find the link in the show notes. Oh, please. Let me know if it helped you. Thank you for listening to this episode. I pray that the Holy Spirit, the author of scripture touched your heart to reveal the gospel truth that our hope of salvation is through Jesus Christ alone. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to reach out to me via my website or social media. I encourage you to read the Bible daily and seek the truth for yourself. I recommend that you download two free Bible study apps, the YouVersion Bible app and Through the Word. Friends, we are living in strange, crazy times, the last days, the end times, but know that things aren't falling apart, they are falling into place. Jesus said in Revelation 3, 20-22, look, I stand at the door and knock.